All right, everyone, we got a great show today. We got Finney's Pod hosted by Matthew Finnamore with Matthew Finnamore featuring Matthew Finnamore and also special guest Matthew Finnamore. So, today's show, we're going to talk a little LeBron, Michael Jordan, not necessarily the way you think, get into depth about Michael Jordan. We got another learning with Finney. Cause I'm learning a lot lately. I'm I'm well educated. I've got the not the degree, but I'm working towards the degree. Uh, I'm gonna try to learn you some folks along the way, share some things with you. Uh, special thanks to some people on the podcast. Uh, other than that, man, it's a it's a great show. Uh, we've got a sponsor of of nobody. Because nobody's willing to pay for the crap that we do on this show. No one wants to support that, put their name on it, put especially put their dollar behind it. Uh, so find us a sponsor, maybe that's crazy enough. Maybe, maybe we can find somebody that's just wild and crazy enough to say, I'll put a single dollar behind this show and have quite literally a paid advertisement on this show. Uh, no, no knockoffs today. Uh, but a great show nonetheless. So here's Matthew Finnamore with Matthew Finnamore featuring Matthew Finnamore and special guest Matthew Finnamore. First things first on the podcast today, I'll, I'll get through this quickly. Uh, if you didn't know, if you're unaware, you know, this, I like to think this is a pretty local podcast at the time being. For the most part, if you're a listener of this show, I probably know you by name, probably know me by name. Uh, we have some type of personal relationship. But uh, my sister-in-law uh, lost pretty much everything in a house fire. Everybody was okay. Even the dog was okay. Nobody was home. Everybody had left from school and work. And But uh, when you have a fire in the house with no one there to stop it immediately, what you didn't lose in the ashes, you're going to lose to the smoke and the smell because you're not going to get that out. But uh, the town of Slayton and the surrounding community and family and friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends and family of friends and just everybody. I mean, the countless connections of just people that don't even know us personally or know her personally that offered help and sent something. It just it means an incredible amount. And I know. Uh, my sister-in-law doesn't have all the words to say thank you because there's just there's not enough there's not a, a bigger way to say thank you to everybody and there's not a possible way to say thank you to everyone and the anonymous help that people offered that didn't want any recognition for what they did and uh, it was just it was incredible to see there was another family right before that lost everything as well and I know they got a lot of help and the community this is why I love where I live and I love living in a small community because everybody knows everybody and everybody offers help and no one just sits by and thinks well someone else will take care of it no everybody does their part and that's the America I know and love and I just want to say if you're listening to this if you helped in any way thank you from the bottom of our heart her family 
didn't have to go without because of you. Her family is able to sleep in a bed and have food in their stomachs and we would have made sure of that ourselves, but because of you, her family doesn't have to suffer for long. And I just wanted to say personally thank you to everyone that offered any help and we love you and we thank you. So let's get on to the show. All right, guys, we got a few things to get into on today's show. Uh, Busy week ahead of us, busy week behind us, lots of sports going on. But I want to start in the NBA uh, where I noticed a couple things, had a few observations, uh, particularly last night. Uh, This is Tuesday morning when I'm recording this. Uh, Last night, the Lakers defeated the Atlanta Hawks, uh, which is normally a meaningless game Tuesday night or Monday night. Uh, A lot of times, stars don't play these type of games, not nationally televised. uh, But you had the full crew on both sides, and you had a little incident with LeBron James and the Lakers and a uh, fan sitting courtside. Uh, Some words were exchanged. Uh, This lady stood up and pointed her finger at LeBron, and LeBron was barking back, and the refs called in security, and security initially just sat the people down, and, you know, because you got to imagine if they're sitting courtside during a pandemic, they, you know, are some remotely important important people. You know, somebody knows probably who those people are. But they were kicked out. Uh, LeBron James said after the game that, you know, he thought, you know, it wasn't necessary. They said their words, he said his, and it was kind of over after that. But he also thought the refs did what they had to do. And, you know, cause he's going to try to semi side with the fans and you don't want your star of the league out there saying, yeah, kick those fans out. Like, unless it's just egregious and everyone can agree with it, but the lady standing up and barking, uh, because, it's quieter and there's not much of a crowd there. So someone sitting courtside, yeah, you're going to hear what they have to say, you know, a whole lot clearer. That's why you saw in the bubble coaches and bench players getting technicals a hell of a lot faster because they're used to barking and, you know, screaming FUs at the refs and stuff. And usually the refs can't hear because you've got a crowd full of noise, particularly in a playoff game. But uh, on a Monday night, limited capacity in Atlanta, you're going to hear a lady courtside screaming. And my main observation from afterwards was, and I'm not sure, I didn't see this for myself. I saw a little bit of what LeBron said, but uh, it looked like she was referred to as courtside Karen. And I just wonder how a phrase such as this is still allowed in 2020. I, I suppose it seems like the only places you're still allowed to make fun of people is you're allowed you're allowed to make fun of white people in general particularly white ladies you're allowed to make fun of red hair fair skin people uh openly you're allowed to make fun of native americans usually but where there's so much that's off limits and can't Comedy is so different. You can't. You just can't openly say things like you used to. If you go back, one of my favorite comedy specials are Eddie Murphy's uh, Delirious and Raw. And in those, he talks about 
gay people using the F word and different things. And it's very derogatory. And that's just the sensibilities of that time. And you could still think that those things are funny, but understand that it could not be said in today's day and age. And courtside Karen that everybody knows means white lady. You know, I don't know that it's necessarily a derogatory term. Uh, it may be a little profiling or stereotypical, uh, but I, I don't think it's by itself necessarily racist. And I'm, as a white male, I'm not offended by it. You can call someone acting like Karen because we know it's, we all know it's that crazy white lady that wants to speak to management and, you know, thinks she's so self-important. And a courtside person probably just thinks they're important because they're probably a little bit important. And throughout their life, they've been treated as someone that's important. But I'm surprised that, uh, that stars can use the word Karen when we all know that means white lady, you know, because you couldn't use, you couldn't use any form that, you know, meant, even if it's not derogatory, you couldn't use for another race that we all knew that it meant a male of that particular race or a female of another race. Those aren't allowed in 2020 and sensibilities change and things change, but I, I'm not sure what to do that, do with that because you don't see that with anything else. And I think it's just eventually maybe that'll, that'll change. But when, you know, it's particularly a person uh, as far on that side as LeBron James is and how openly he is with the his political nature and his political beliefs and me being a person that leans the total opposite direction of him. And uh, there's things that he said that I agree with and there's things that he said that I think are far, far from the truth and far off. And I think he's just saying it to his constituents and his people. But I'm not going to cancel LeBron James because he believes that way. I, I've, I've said this to many of my friends that if, you know, especially people like me from small town in the South, if, if I just cancel celebrities and athletes because they don't have the same political agreements that I have, uh, there wouldn't be a whole lot to root for. There wouldn't be a whole lot to watch, cheer for. So I separate the athlete from the political nature. I just appreciate LeBron James for, being the greatest basketball player that I've seen play and his political beliefs. And with that said, being the greatest basketball player I've seen play, I wonder if at the end of this career that he's coming to, it's, it's obviously coming to the end. You can't imagine that he could keep this up for another 10 years, but he might could keep it up for another five if he's going to do kind of the same thing that Michael Jordan did in his heyday. Now I'm, I'm too young to remember watching this personally, but I've seen the videos and I know the storylines. I've seen his highlights. I've seen how people talk. Michael Jordan had this same yeah, but he's not a winner thing on him. He, he couldn't get out of the second round of the East his first eight years seven years of his playing career, he couldn't get past the bad boy Pistons. He could not win against Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics. Absolutely could not. Kept it close with the Pistons, but couldn't beat them. Finally dethroned them at the end. 
and that's where his winning really started. Everyone universally saw him as potentially the greatest player to play the game, but he couldn't win. You had Marv Albert comparing him to O.J. Simpson and uh, Ernie Sanders and Joe Namath and these different players that were good but couldn't win and how that winning just changes their legacy. And then he went through the heydays of the mid-90s where they couldn't be stopped. Now, I'd like to argue that the competition is totally different from what today's day and age and what LeBron James is facing, but that, that's a long-winded argument that we don't have to get into here. But I see that the potential for LeBron to do the same is here. He won one. What if he goes back-to-back this year? And he's having a quiet MVP season where I think he's a he's now the betting favorite for MVP, and he's the lead favorite. He's got the narrative. He's got everything going for him. He's flying enough under the radar. And there's not really anyone else that you could just select for MVP right now. Giannis has a bad record, and I don't think he's going to win another one if he doesn't win the Eastern Conference. Kawhi doesn't play enough. He's always hurt. Kevin Durant is probably going to be in and out of the lineup. I think he's the closest competition. Joel Embiid is having a magnificent season. He's just a little too quiet, and I think the Sixers have kind of the same thing, that they've got to win first before they can start getting accolades like the MVP. I think that's going to be the problem with Joel Embiid. But LeBron James can have an MVP season and a back-to-back championship. And then what if he wins one more to tie Michael Jordan? Are we going to finally look back and say, wow, that dude was in the finals every damn year. This dude has an 18-year career right now and has been in the finals 10 times. What if he has a 21, 22-year career and goes to the finals 13, 14 times and wins six championships, seven championships, even five championships? Are we going to finally say all that dude did was win? He was with a shitty team in Cleveland that couldn't get out of their own way. All they did was look into having the number one pick the year LeBron James came out and having the number one pick the year Kyrie Irving came out. Other than that, they're just a dumpster fire of an organization. And Cleveland sports life has just been miserable. They did that guy no favors. Can you imagine if he was with a well-run organization like Miami his whole career or like the Lakers? like many others, like Chicago in the mid-90s. Chicago wasn't always a great organization, but they they had that decade of where they picked right, they traded correctly, they signed the right free agents. They did everything correctly to help Michael Jordan. And LeBron's finally getting that. He's got a superstar that compliments him as well as Scottie Pippen did Michael Jordan. And they're putting the right pieces around them that fit with them and work in the system. So if LeBron James does all this winning at the age that he's doing it, doing it when Michael Jordan could not play anymore, it was too much came back and was not the same person. Kobe could not stay healthy. That Achilles injury just ended his career. Just wasn't the same Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was still playing, but he wasn't Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with Magic Johnson in their heyday. Nobody plays like this at this age. Look at Gordon Dragic with the Miami Heat. That dude's body is failing him. 
and he's two years younger than LeBron. Look at Kawhi Leonard, who's five, six years younger than LeBron and cannot play a whole season. LeBron James hasn't missed a game yet. Kawhi can barely play half the games that the Clippers play because his body's just failing him. His body can't withstand the rigors of a long season. The Lakers are the odds-on favorite this year. The Lakers seem like the best team. The Lakers are the most improved team besides Philadelphia, and that's being the defending champs. They're still one of the few teams this year that has gotten better from last besides Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is one of those teams that they're going to have to prove it first. And I just wonder how much being with the Lakers and potentially winning a couple championships is going to change the narrative. And are we finally going to appreciate? I've always been of the mindset that I'll take the guy that's 70 pounds heavier and can do everything the other guy can do. If not, I could do a couple things better. But that's just my opinion. And my opinion is only worth as much as the seven listeners think it's worth. But let's move away from some opinion and get down to some facts. And while we're on the subject of Michael Jordan, let's stay there. So everyone by now has heard some of the story or kind of heard rustlings at least about the GameStop stocks and also stocks, AMC, Tootsie Roll, Blockbuster, things like that. But it mostly was GameStop that started all this. So uh, in case you haven't seen it, in case you you know, aren't connected to social media or been living under a rock or something. Hedge fund managers, they take people's capital and assets and investments and they invest them in stocks and in very complicated ways. They don't, most people, the average Joe buys a stock in something at a low price and they hope that the stock goes high and goes up and the business gets better so they that stock that they bought at eight dollars they can sell it at sixteen dollars and make an eight dollar profit that's what the average joe does hedge fund guys do things in much more complicated ways they they short stocks they uh invest them in other things they cross invest they do things but the un-american way or what people will have a hard time with the shorts and so that you have these hedge fund managers shorting gamestop because gamestop is said to be the next blockbuster people aren't going to need a store where they can go in simply for video games they can buy them at walmart kmart target they can get them online at amazon they don't they're not going to need this store anymore and gamestops are slowly dying so to get in now at a short where people will still buy those stocks because what a short is, is they buy a stock at let's say $10. They rent it out to the little man, the average Joe. And when that stock inevitably goes down to $6, the person that bought it then has to sell it back at, because they're only renting it at $10. So they sold it at at six or they, they have to sell it back at 10. So the person bought it at six and now they have to sell it back for 10 more dollars. So they made a net profit of $4. And they do this and it is wise because that stock is inevitably going to go down and GameStop's not the only one until you get the community of Reddit and wall street bets 
all in to say, hey, these guys have billions betting on America to fail, betting on capitalism to fail. They don't want the little man to do well. If we all buy this stock, we'll soar the price up, and these hedge fund guys will be screwed. They'll be having to pay us for something that they thought was going to short, and they'll be losing money. And so what if they don't get their summer home in California or Maui or wherever it is? And it actually worked because when you short a stock, you're not betting on the people to congregate and work together and make a stock of a dying business to go up because everybody's buying the stock. And that's what happened. Everybody bought GameStop. And because everyone's buying stock in this company, it has to go up because it's the market shows that it's a good business and the price has to go up the more and more it's supply and demand of stock, basically. So it went up and these people are losing millions, if not billions of dollars, and that little man is making millions and millions of dollars. But at the core of this, when you're talking about billionaires, has to be sports owners. You have to be a billionaire in this day and age to own a sports team. So it made little news. It didn't matter much to people, but Michael Jordan owns the Charlotte Hornets. And I'm going to be reading some of this, so if there's short little pauses or I take time to get through all this, I apologize in advance, but I want to make sure I get the names and the facts right on this so you got an information because it's a very interesting story that's not getting a ton of publicity but michael jordan sold some of his stake in the charlotte hornets to wall street investors gabe plotkin of melvin capital and daniel sudheim of d1 capital and that's what these guys are they're hedge fund managers and like I said, this barely got any news, but these guys are the people losing money on this GameStop. They were the ones shorting GameStop, and they're losing millions and millions of dollars, uh, in one case, billions. It said that uh, Melvin, Melvin Capital, has needed $2.75 billion in rescue capital, and Sudheim's D1 fund has already hemorrhaged $4 billion in less than a month. Uh, and this, I've got to give credit. This is all a story that Tom Haverstrow did on True Hoop. So you're talking about $2.75 billion and $4 billion. And these guys have an influence on Charlotte because they had an influence. This is why the Hornets are still in Charlotte, because these guys bought the team and they want the team to stay in Charlotte. So they have a great stake in the Charlotte Hornets or else they wouldn't have this kind of say. If they just bought a measly couple percent of the team, then their opinion wouldn't matter. And Michael Jordan spoke kindly of both of these guys calling uh, Gabe Pawkin a golden boy and then and said that they were both two really good guys and he really liked these guys and how much he liked them and just spoke really well of them. But uh Plotkin, before this, was one of the top performing portfolio managers at Cohen's SAC Capital Advisors and is, has one of the world's most successful hedge funds uh, And it until he ran into some indictments from the Department of Justice 
uh, for insider training. And they pled guilty and paid almost $2 billion in fines. But now he's hurting even worse because the little man has come after him. And not only do you have the little man coming after uh, Melvin Capital and D1 Capital, and Michael Jordan's potentially going to lose two of his greatest investors uh, if they can't stop hemorrhaging money. They've had since then sold all their shorts and GameStop and have gotten out from under it. But you can't imagine losing $4 billion after already a tough year, uh, 2020, with coronavirus and nobody's just really making money hand over fist unless you're Jeff Bezos or uh, Walmart. So you not only have the little man speaking out, but you have Mark Cuban and one of his executives speaking out. Yeah, go against these guys. It's not right that they're betting on America to fail. Buy the stocks. Hold them. I will personally buy stocks in GameStop. And let's hold it out. Let's keep holding them until they have to sell everything they have. That was the point. If you saw this, they said buy and hold. Diamond strong hands. Hold, hold, hold. Do not sell. Stick together. Hold. Because the longer you hold and the stock stays up, they will be forced to sell. If everyone buys and then immediately sells, they get those shorts back and they can eventually make their money back. But if you hold, 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 then everyone that has shorts, they have to sell because they can't they can't hold that position. They they lose money day after day after day. And it and it's worked. And nobody thought it would. They thought it'd be a couple days, you know, everyone kind of buy stocks, but then you get greedy and sell. People actually held onto these stocks and it actually worked. But not only do you have Mark Cuban speaking out, you also have, and, and I'm going to botch this name, and if you absolutely actually know how to pronounce this name correctly, uh, get off your high horse. But the Golden State Warriors investor, Chalmeth Pilapia, something to that effect, has actually spoken out and said that he wants to end the business of Gabe Plotkin and Melvin Investors. That he wants the, he will personally see the destruction. So this is one owner of the NBA to another owner of the NBA. Speaking out, saying he wants to end his career and wants to force him to go broke. And nobody's going to feel bad for him. That nobody can be on the side of the billionaire hedge fund investors. Steve Cohen, the new owner of the Mets who when he got there said I'm going to be on Twitter and I'm going to talk to my fans and he was replying to comments and making people feel good and say hey what's your ideas that we can do to improve the stadium and actually answering ideas saying yeah that sounds like a good idea maybe we can work that in somewhere and all this happened and dude disappeared he went zero dark 30 like LeBron does whenever he gets to the playoffs and you're not hearing from him anymore. And he just bought a team, and he's got the potential of losing billions of dollars because no one thought that a comment section on a talk forum on the Internet could have the power of millions and millions, if not billions of dollars. And it did. The people actually banded together in this 2020-2021 year of COVID-19 and far left and far right and no one can agree on anything 
we can agree that no one feels bad for billionaires. And I say that over and over again on this podcast that no one's going to feel bad for the athlete and people tend to side with ownership for some weird reason, because they usually speak for the fan, but no one's going to feel bad for the hedge fund managers and Reddit was able to band together and have these guys lose money. And now the billionaire owners, Mark Cuban and the guy from Golden State Warriors that I can't pronounce his name correctly are also speaking with the little man and saying, yeah, I stand with the little man. And it's, it's incredible to see the ramifications that this is going to bleed over into sports and that people aren't really seeing it. Michael Jordan could stand to lose a lot of money. He could, it's a real possibility that he could lose his investors. And because he would have to essentially buy that chunk back, of the Hornets or they would have to sell it to somebody else and he would have to approve it. He could end up having to sell his chunk if he's not wanting to spend that much money. Michael Jordan has the money, but he could, he could end up having to sell his chunk or having to buy it back and, and hemorrhage some money himself. There's a lot of long-term ramifications in this. And I applaud the people of the United States. This is why I love the country I live in. We may have been going through it the last couple years, and we may not can agree on a whole lot, but we can agree that we all want money and we all love capitalism and we want the potential of one day to have millionaires, to be millionaires. But when you become to that millionaire, we understand we're, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. And we're going to take your money. And you want to bet on capitalism not to win? You want to bet on the failure of businesses? Then when we go against you, don't be surprised. And don't expect anyone to feel bad for yourself, for you. This is America. We love our money. We love our greed. We love our capitalism. And every now and then we can band together against the big man. It's what we did since the start of our country. Since the Revolutionary War, we, we banded together and went against the big bad king and the red coats and decided, no, we want our freedom. We don't want you to tell us what to do. We don't want you taking all these taxes from us. We work hard for that money. And that's essentially what we're doing to these hedge funds. Hey, you're going to take my money and bet on this business to fail. You're going to profit off me and profit off a business failing. The only place where that's where any profits are coming is because you're gambling on the fact that this business is going to fail. Okay, well let's swing the odds in our favor and see how you like a little taste of your own medicine there. All right, guys, we made it to the end of this episode. Last thing we got to do, our last segment, a little segment we like to call Learning with Finney. As I've said, I'm going to be very transparent. I'm going to try to include the audience. If you're listening to this, you're very important, so I'm going to include you on this journey. I'm going to be transparent with you. I'm going to school, going to the great university of Louisiana State University, and this week, a little something that I learned that I wanted to share with podcast listeners. This is the beginning of college sports. I always knew uh, the first college football game uh, involved Rutgers. I, for some reason, I just knew that Rutgers played the first college football game, and then they've existed in football hell ever since then, never playing in anything meaningful ever again. Uh, but I wasn't sure exactly how 
the NCAA and how college sport got started. But so here you go. Uh, August 3rd, 1852 was the beginning of college sport as we know it. At uh, In New Hampshire, a crew race, which is uh, basically rowboat, uh, a crew race between Harvard and Yale was the very first intercollegiate athletic event in the United States. This was uh, put on by the students and the reason why it was in New Hampshire, because obviously Harvard is in Cambridge and Yale is in Connecticut, uh, is because it was sponsored by uh, the Boston Concord and Montreal Railroad Company, which wanted the race in New Hampshire because it wanted the fans to have to take their railroad to New Hampshire, both teams. So they wanted it in a neutral site, so everyone would have to travel and sponsorship would be made. So... Ever since day one, people have been trying to grab at the money of college sports. Literally day one, people were trying to monetize these free paid labor uh, that is college athletics. And this is how it became a business. The first business saw, hey, we can profit off of this. Uh, So the next sport was, of course, college baseball. Uh, The first contest was held seven years later in 1859 between Amherst and Williams. Uh, And they're still two of today's most successful D3 colleges. Uh, But that was the first game. And then in 1869, the, like I said, the first football game was held between Rutgers and Princeton. And, What's strange about this is they didn't play football as we know it today, and I'm not completely sure how this works, but at that time, you could dribble the football, so you could kick it like soccer, and that's that's probably where, I have to look this up, and it might be a good uh, addition of uh, Finney's an Idiom, if you remember that segment that we've done. Uh you know, the good old traditional saying of you never know where the ball, which way the ball is going to bounce for football is maybe where it started. Because if you could dribble a football, you literally had no idea where that ball was going to bounce. So you could kick it like soccer. <coughs> and excuse me. Uh, and that's part of how you could score was you could out dribble your opponent. And that is how you won the game. Um, This is how Rutgers won the first football game was they out dribbled their opponent six goals to four. They were just goals. The game evolved from there. Now, of course, you know, I mentioned Harvard, Yale and Rutgers and Princeton. So in the beginning, it was all Ivy league schools and Ivy league dominated sport. Uh, I mean, New England in the late 1800s was where, you know, most people lived and where, uh, like it is now, highly congregated segments of the nation, highly populated segments of the nation all lived. So the Ivy Leagues dominated college sports. But college sports got their humble beginnings uh, with a crew race put on by the students to challenge each other and all it was was for bragging rights and 
So Harvard could say they're better than Yale and vice versa. And a business decided to make a profit off of it. And lo and behold, you have college athletics. Uh, and at first it was, it just stayed put on by the students. Uh, the students tried their best to uh, have their own governing bodies and uh, manage themselves as best as they could, but uh, they would, you know, quickly over the years learn that they couldn't do this. So in about 1903, uh, the NCAA was founded. Uh, they had 13 presidents and 62 colleges involved, and it stayed the same way. And this is one of my uh, big pieces of evidence of why college sports should change because things have changed since 1903. We still use the NCAA. We still use divisions. We still use presidents of these conferences. And 1903 America is totally different than 2021 America. You have different, totally different streams of revenue. You have massive additions in digits in the revenue that is accrued in college sports and it's a whole different animal but yet we still use the same practices that we used in the early 1900s just like we still use the same electoral college that we used in the 1800s to elect a president that is an outdated method but that's another opinion for another day i hope you like the show today I hope you rate, subscribe, review, share it with a friend. Do all the things I always ask for you. Come back every week. Try to be entertaining. Try to be funny. We'll talk about sports, mainly, mostly. Uh, if you have any ideas, send them in. I've had a couple people reach out uh, for requests about the show. Hopefully, we can get to them. Uh, you're the key to this thing's success, so... Don't be afraid to speak out. Let me know. You're not going to offend me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Tell me what's terrible. Tell me what's awful about the show. What needs improvement. Tell me what works and what you like so I can keep doing it. Uh, like I said, you're vital to this show keeping on. I, I One day I'd like to be the Barstool guys and just doing a podcast with great people and people enjoy it and having great guests. And that's only possible if you help me along this run. Uh, so thank you. Everyone have a great Super Bowl week. Uh, we'll see you next week.